here by accident, um, and I want to encourage you, um, please continue to come back. Uh, maybe in a future visit, you'll get to hear our stories, we'll get to hear your stories, but just please continue to come back. Um, before we get started tonight, I just want to sort of go through the room a bit. Off to my left is the women's room. Uh, off to my right is the men's room. Um, in front here, there's some drinks. In the back, there's coffee, tea, some other drinks. Um, if you have prayer requests or an offering, you can place that in the black box here up front. Um, please visit the bookstore in the back. The books are priced extremely well, and they're very good theological books, so please visit that bookstore after the service. Um, and lastly, here at Eternal City Church, we are here to multiply passionate love for Jesus Christ and those made in his image. Uh, we, we do this by making disciples, making disciples, unifying all people, training and challenging men to lead sacrificially, equipping women for ministry, and planting church, planting churches. And I will hand this over to Pastor Chris. I just, I just turned that Hey, everybody. Good to see all of you this evening. Uh, we do have a couple quick announcements before we jump in. And this is always the case. As the minutes roll forward after 5 o'clock, the room fills up. It's amazing. It's like the bell rings outside and everyone comes and they, and they show up. So thankful for you all and thankful that you all made it here for the announcements. Um, uh, one quick thing before we jump into the announcements is... Uh, we do have a bookstore that is regularly stocked. I know Jeff just said this, but the books are always rotating. Uh, they're not stagnant books. And so as the books come in and out, uh, it's, it's good for you to go back and check every now and then. And I just wanted to highlight a few uh, before we jump in. So we do have study Bibles. Um, I first learned, wow, look how heavy theology that was. You see that? Boom, that's crazy. So the, uh, the ESV study Bible, in my opinion, is one of the best study Bibles on the market that you can get. Uh, a gentleman from the church here who's a member, he was texting me this week. He was reading Exodus, which I love, and he had questions. And the questions were good questions. My, I didn't say this to him, and he's not here, so I hope he doesn't come in as I'm saying this. If he would have had this study Bible, he would not have had to ask me the question, Okay. These, these study Bibles are how I learned how to teach the Bible as a brand new Christian. Uh, I have, I'll just confess to you all, I'm a study Bible junkie. I probably have 10 to 15 study Bibles. Eddie's shaking his head, he's a study Bible junkie too. And so I love study Bibles. I have a ton of them, both digital and physical. And this is one of my top three go-tos right here is the ESV study Bible. This one here, um, I don't know what the retail is on it, but it's a uh, True Tone leather. It's $34. I think it's at least 50% off. And this is the last one left. If you're new to the Bible and you're reading it and you have questions, I highly recommend grabbing one of these um, ESV study Bibles. Another one that's really good that we have back there is the Tony Evans study Bible. This is the CSV version. Eddie, you like this one? Of course you do, because Tony Evans is Eddie's hero. So the, the Tony Evans study Bible is also fantastic. A lot of great cross-references, a lot of good study notes, and um, I highly recommend, if you're, if you're unfamiliar with study Bibles, there's more than these two back there, but these two are, are two really good ones, and both priced about 50% off. The last one I'll mention is, um, this, this book just came out recently, David Gibson. 
It's the Lord of Psalm 23. It's Jesus, our shepherd, companion, and host by David Gibson. He's out of Westminster. And uh, this is a redemptive historical view of Psalm 23. And so when uh, David writes, the Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want, he is speaking of Jesus Christ. And we know that from John chapter 10, where Jesus himself said, I am the good shepherd, pointing back to Psalm 23. And so if, if you want to learn more about that and be comforted and dive deep into Psalm 23, this one is back there as well. All right, let's move on to our other announcements. So Jackie's gonna come out actually and speak about the Grove because she has insider information on this ministry. So come on out, Jackie. If you could give her your attention, please. Thank you. Hello, family. Um, this announcement is for the ladies of Eternal City, whether you are a member or just a regular attender. We just wanted to remind you that we are kicking off the next session of our women's Bible study starting on Saturday, February 17th. Um, that'll be our kickoff brunch. Uh, so we are asking all that are planning to attend to please bring a dish to share. But there is more information available on the church website. You can also register directly on the church website. So even if you have already spoken to me or to Elizabeth Rue to let us know that you're planning to attend, we're asking if everyone can begin to go to the church website to do this. If you go to eternalcity.org, Click on the About section, and if you scroll down, there is a page specifically for the Grove and all of the information for our Bible studies, our Ladies' Night Fellowship, and even our retreats is on that page. So eternalcity.org, go to the About section, find the Grove page, and then if you scroll down to the Study section, it'll open up a page where you'll be able to register. Um, there is not childcare provided. So we are asking um, that you make other arrangements for your children, unless you are a nursing mother with a nursing baby, then by all means, please bring your tiny humans with you. Um, but yeah, we will see you on Saturday, February 17th to get started on our new session, The Fruit of the Spirit. who are members. Uh, we have a members meeting directly following worship tonight, and uh, we're going to keep it under an hour. There's going to be food, and so as soon as we sing the last song tonight, we're going to say amen, and we're going to have food out ready to go, and you all can run through the, the kitchen and get the food, come back. We'll start right away, and we're going to keep it under an hour, okay? We're going to do a few highlights of last year. We're going to talk about our building and our capital campaign and maybe a few highlights of moving into 2024. Gonna to try to keep it under an hour. If you're here tonight, you're invited. Again, you don't have to be a member to stay. It'd be great for you to get an inside look into Eternal City Church and see what's going on. We're also gonna go through the budget in detail. And so it's, it's our yearly members meeting, um, but it'll be shorter because we had a nice recap uh, in January of 23 that went through every ministry and highlighted it. Anyway, if you're here, please stay for this members meeting. It's really important that you, especially as a member, keep up on what's going on at the church and uh, Q&A will be available as well. And so with anything we talk about, question and answer will be opportunity there. Um, so the Foundry is our men's ministry. This starts this Friday at 6.30 p.m. in this room. Uh, Foundry exists to form men by the Spirit. 
Romans 8.29 says that um, we are predestined to be conformed to the image of Jesus. And that's what we're seeking to do by the spirit, by the word, by encouragement, by accountability. And so on Friday nights, once a month, we meet here, we do a meal together, and then we have a speaker. But that is the, one of the smallest things that the Foundry does. We have daily scripture reading that we interact with online uh, with an encrypted app. We also have uh, every other week Zoom meetings that we uh, encourage each other and pray for each other. We have accountability groups that we group up together as smaller uh, groups of men where we hold each other accountable and encourage one another and meet up. Uh, and we would love for you to be a part of this. This is open to any man at Eternal City Church. And so if you're interested, please show up next Friday, or rather this Friday, 6.30 p.m. in this room. Many of you have already signed up, but don't feel like you have had to sign up to be here. If you're here and you're hearing this announcement tonight, feel free to come at 6.30 on Friday and join us. Okay, and then uh, prayer every Sunday here in the building from 4 to 4.45 p.m. Uh, I highly encourage you to come and pray. Even if you wanna come and try it, you don't have to pray. You can pray along with everyone else until you do get comfortable praying. But this is a vital ministry where we pray for God to move through our church and in this neighborhood of Wilkinsburg and beyond in the surrounding neighborhoods. And we pray that God would work through the ministries here at Eternal City Church. We have not because we ask not. And Jesus himself said, Ask and you'll receive, seek and you'll find, knock and the door will be open. And so we wanna do that as a church. So if you're able to come at four o'clock till 4.45, uh, we're just down the hallway, my right, up the stairs, right next to the nursery on the left is the prayer room from four to 4.45. We already spoke about the bookstore. And so at this time, we're going to start worship. If you could stand, please, we're gonna read the scripture together. And then as soon as the scripture is done reading, the worship team is gonna begin to lead us in song. Uh, please join with. We'll wait till you. We'll wait till you go away. Please join with me in reading Psalm 78, one through eight, and it's the Holman Christian Standard Bible version. My people, hear my instruction. Listen to what I say. I will declare wise sayings. I will speak mysteries from the past, things we have heard and known, and that our fathers have passed down to us. We must not hide them from their children but must tell a future generation the praises of the Lord, his might and the wonderful works he has performed. He established a testimony in Jacob and set up a law in Israel, which he commanded our fathers to teach their children so that a future generation, children yet to be born, might know. They were to rise and tell their children so that they might put their confidence in God and not forget God's works, but keep his commands. Then they would not be like their fathers, a stubborn and rebellious generation, a generation whose heart was not loyal and whose spirit was not faithful to God. Amen. Thanks, Jeff. How's everybody doing? Okay. Mm. <laughs> it's not a pretty week. Hopefully everybody's okay. All right, we're going to get into worship. We're going to start with Cornerstone.
missing you, Frankie, this week. The drums. <laughs> I'm trying to keep up my foot. I'm like, yeah. <laughs> we're getting it. We're getting it. We're going to do Amazing Grace. conviction, edification, whatever it is, Lord, let us hear from you. And I pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.
Good evening, church. Evening, all right. So we're continuing in Exodus. Um, but before we get started, I want to pray for our kids and release them. So pray with me. Father, we thank you and we bless you uh, for this another day you've allowed us to see to come into to your presence and worship before you in spirit and in truth. And Lord, we lift up our, our young people, our children to you right now, Lord God. We pray that as they go, uh, that you go before them and with them. Um, open up their ears to hear what is being said to them tonight, what is being taught about your word uh, through the gospel of Jesus Christ. So we thank you for uh, them and the teachers. Give the teachers the ability to teach with simplicity, clarity, Lord God, and humility in Jesus' name. And again, thank you for these future leaders that you are raising up here in this local assembly. Thank you for these future pastors, leaders, these future leaders in their communities and in their schools and on their jobs. Thank you for them. And again, we look forward to what you're going to do. We'll give you all glory, honor, and praise, Lord God, in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. All right. Okay. Exodus, Discovering God in the Wilderness. We're starting chapter 3 tonight. A very familiar story, the call of Moses in the burning bush. And we're going to go through the first 12 verses today in our Exodus chapter 3, starting in verse 1, 1 through 12. And it reads, now at the end of chapter 2, it says, God saw the Israelites and he took notice. It says at the end of uh, chapter 2, the last verse in chapter 2, it says, God saw the Israelites and he took notice. And then chapter 3 starts, meanwhile, as God took notice, Moses was shepherding the flock of his father-in-law, Jethro, the priest of Midian. He led the flock to the far side of the wilderness and came to Horeb, the mountain of God. Then the angel of the Lord appeared to him in a flame of fire within a bush. As Moses looked, he saw that the bush was on fire but was not consumed. So Moses thought, I must go over and look at this remarkable sight. Why isn't the bush burning? So, and this is a very familiar story, even with, with non-believers, people know about Moses and the burning bush and you know, saw it in the Ten Commandments, the movie and all of that. So, but this is uh, uh, Moses' call, God calling Moses um, from, from this site. Uh, in, on this mountain. It says, Moses was shepherding the flock of God. And notice, notice what Moses was just doing in everyday thing, everyday life. He wasn't in any special position. He was just doing his call. He was just doing his regular job. He was shepherding the, the, the flock of his father-in-law when, when God spoke to him. So God can speak to you right where you are, you know, in everyday life. He wasn't, you know, doing anything special. He was just working on his job. And God called him. And he might do the same thing with you. <laughs> Moses was shepherding the flock of his father-in-law, Jethro, the priest of Midian. He led the flock to the far side of the wilderness and came to Horeb, the mountain of God. Now, this Horeb is also Mount Sinai. We'll see later. Um, and it's a site where God appears to Moses and all of Israel later in chapter 19, which we'll look at. So this Mount Horeb is also Mount Sinai. And I know we have a meeting tonight, so I'm going to try to be a little shorter than normal tonight because I know we got a meeting, a membership meeting, so pray for your boy. All right. <laughs> Um, Moses was shepherding the flock of his father-in-law, Jethro, the priest of Midian. He led the flock to the far side of the wilderness, called, came to Herob, the mountain of God, Mount, Mount Sinai. Um, like I said, he was just doing everyday job. He was called to leave his comfort zone. He was obviously, he was a shepherd. He was, I'm sure, in, in a comfort zone. And, and God's call sometimes aligns with the gifts that we already have. And God will call us to do something um, that he's already gifted us to do. He was already shepherding uh, the flock. And the same thing with David. You see that with David. He was a shepherd, and then he called him to lead the people of Israel too. So God will a lot of times just call you in the gift that he's already given you. And we see that here with Moses. 
Then the angel of the Lord appeared to him in a flame of the in, to him in a flame of fire within a bush. The angel of the Lord. Now, this angel of the Lord, the Hebrew word here is Malak, M-A-L-A-K. Um, and this is a, what is called a theophany, which is um, appearance of uh, pre-incarnate Christ in the Old Testament. All right, it's called a theophany, okay? And this is an angel um, who had mainly a saving and protective function, the angel of the Lord did in the Old, and we'll see that. He mainly had a saving and protective fun- function, um, and it's called a theophany. Um, I have some, some friends of mine who are Messianic Jews who live in Florida, and they're also hip-hop artists, if you can believe that, Jewish hip-hop artists <laughs> who live in Florida. And they have a, uh, had a CD out some years ago called Theophanies, and, um, and all of the songs dealt with the um, pre-incarnate Christ appearances in the Old Testament. The whole awesome CD, if you want to look it up on, online, it's called Theophanies, and that's what it deals with. Um, so this is the angel of the Lord, and how do we know that this is the Lord himself um, speaking? And we'll look at that in a minute. But um, one of the things is the angel spoke as God and not simply for God. And we'll see that uh, later. He spoke as God, not, jim- not just simply for God. And we see a couple examples of an angel of the Lord in the Old Testament. In Genesis chapter 16, now this is the story of Hagar, um, Moses' mistress that was kicked out of the house <laughs> after Sarah got, you know, upset with what was going on with the baby and everything. and said, okay, you need to get rid of this woman, get her out of my house. And so Moses sends her on her way, Hagar, all right? Um, that's the short version of that story. Read it in Genesis. <laughs> and so she's out in the wilderness. Um, and here it says, the angel of the Lord said to her, the angel of the Lord said to her, I will greatly multiply, multiply your offspring and they will be too many to count. So he's encouraging her. The angel of the Lord said to her, you have conceived and will have a son. You will name him Ishmael. For the Lord has heard your cry of affliction. Listen, he says, God heard her cry of affliction. This man will be like a wild donkey. His hand will be against everyone, and everyone's hand will be against him. Imagine God saying that about your, <laughs> your son you great give birth to. Ain't nobody going to like him. <laughs> he will settle near all his relatives. So she named the Lord who spoke to her. Look at what she said. It says the angel of the Lord spoke to her, but, he said, but she says, so she named the Lord who spoke to her, you are El Roy, for she said, in this place have I actually seen the one who sees me. That is why the well is called Ber Roy. it is between Kadesh and Barrett. Now, but she knew who was talking to her. She said the, angel, the Lord spoke to her, but it's an angel of the Lord, but it was God himself. Also in the book of Deuteronomy, chapter 33, this is Moses uh, blessing all of uh, uh, Jacob's sons, his 12 sons, and this is him, what, he, what he says about Joseph. He said about Joseph, may his land be blessed by the Lord with the dew of heaven's bounty and the watery depths that lie beneath, with the bountiful harvest from the sun and the abundant yield of the seasons, with the best products of the ancient mountains and the bounty of the eternal hills, with the choice gifts of the land and everything in it. And with the favor, listen, and with the favor of him who appeared in the burning bush. You see that? So he's talking about God. He said, I want Joseph to have the favor of him who appeared in the burning bush. 
May these rest upon on the head of Joseph, on the brow of the prince of his brothers. And there are other many examples in the Old Testament of the angel of the Lord appearing. Um, uh, Noah saw him. Uh, uh, Abraham did too. So there are many examples of it. But they are called theophanies, and it is God himself and pre-incarnate Christ showing up in the Old Testament. All right, now, um, it says, Then the angel of the Lord appeared to him in a flame of fire within a bush. And fire in, in the Bible is a sign of God's presence a lot of times. We see that whenever you see fire, it's a representation of the presence of God. Um, we see it with Elijah. He was taken up in a chariot of fire in the Old Testament. Um, on the day of Pentecost, um, the tongues came in the tongues of fire. You know, so a lot of times fire is a symbol of God's presence. And sometimes it's a symbol of his judgment. But here is a symbol of God's presence in the burning bush. Now, Moses, he worked out in the field. So he saw burning bushes often. So it wasn't unusual. There was something different about this bush. Because Moses would have ignored something that, he, that was just normal. Right? But he couldn't ignore this. Um, he didn't see, like, any crackling or any charring of the bush or anything like that. So, but... It says, the angel of the Lord appeared to him in the bush. So he didn't just see the burning bush. He saw an angel appearing to him in the bush. So that got his attention. Um, so that's, that's the way that God got Moses' attention. Okay, then the angel of the Lord appeared to him in a flame of, uh, within the bush. As Moses looked, he saw that the bush was on fire, but it was not consumed. And we would do the same thing if we saw something burning, but it was not consumed. We would do the same thing. It would get our attention. So Moses thought, I must go over and look at this remarkable sight why isn't the bush burning up? All right? Okay. Verse 4. When the Lord saw that he had gone over to look, God called out to him from the bush, Moses, Moses. So when God saw that Moses said, okay, I need to go over and look at this, he got Moses' attention by the burning bush. And that obviously would get your attention. It had to be something extraordinary and remarkable to get his attention. Like I said, he would have ignored a, a normal burning bush that he saw. But it got his attention. And sometimes God will use unusual things to get your attention. Usually, even if it's not, not necessarily unusual, but something that you can't or won't ignore. A lot of us can remember how God got our attention before we got saved. What God used to get you to call you. And a lot of times it was something drastic, whether it was an addiction of some kind, whether it's drugs or alcohol or sex or something that was starting to control you a lot of times that you thought you had control over, at least you did at one point. But now it's starting to control you. And, it's, and you start crying out to God. God will allow things to happen to cause you to cry out to him. I know he did that with me. So God will use things, and even after you get saved, he may use things to draw you to salvation, but even after you get saved, he'll do things to cause you to get your attention if you're not listening to him. And then sometimes, a lot of times, it's something bad because that will get our attention. A lot of times with men, I think, too, in particular, as far as salvation is concerned, it's usually something drastic that brings us to Christ because we're hard-headed. And we, want, we, we think we know it all and nobody can tell, I got this, and we, all of that stuff. And God has to let the devil kind of have his way with us for a minute. And then we come crawling. Men come to the altar crawling 
crying and, you know, a lot of times, you know, <sighs> struggling to breathe. <laughs> God got your attention. Because men are like that. Okay, so God got his attention. Um, and listen to what Moses said. Here I am, he answered. And that ought to be our, our answer whenever God calls us. Here I am. And we see that a lot with people that God called in the Bible. We see with Samuel when, when, when God called him after the third time, you know, he finally realized that, you know, or, 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 or uh, realized that it was God calling him. Um, Speak, Lord, for your servant hears. Um, Isaiah said, when God said, who shall go for me? Who shall go for us? Isaiah said, here I am, send me. And we ought to be able to say the same thing. God calls you to whatever. Now, the thing is, he may not tell you what he's calling you to initially. <laughs> but we ought to say, here I am, Lord, send me. Speak for your servant hears. Here I am, just like Moses did. Moses didn't know what, what he was getting into, but he said, here I am. Do not come closer, he said. Listen to this. Remove the sandals from your feet, for the place where you are standing is holy ground. Wow, that's a powerful verse to me. God said, hold up, Moses, don't come any closer. Take your shoes off. Realize whose presence you're in. Justin said, since I was preaching on the burning bush, I should have preached barefoot today. <laughs> I said, not in February, not in February. If it was June or July, maybe, but not in February in Pittsburgh. No, I ain't doing that. <laughs> Do not come closer. Remove the sandals from your feet, for the place where you are standing is holy ground. Now, this shows the gap between a holy God and sinful man. There's a gap between a holy God and sinful man. And removing his shoes was a sign of respect and reverence, and also acknowledgement of your personal defilement. Moses had to recognize, realize whose presence he was in. And sometimes we need to do that too. See, familiarity can breed contentment. We've heard that said before. And sometimes because we are familiar with God, quote unquote, um, worship is, and I've said this before, you can't just run up on God in any kind of way you want to. God is holy. That's the point here. Take your shoes off. Where you're standing is holy, Moses. Realize whose presence you're in. When we come here, realize whose presence we're in when we worship. Also, he realized his unworthiness to stand in the presence of holiness. We are unworthy to stand in the presence of a holy God with our sinful selves. So God said, don't come any closer. Moses, you come close enough, all right? Now, when I was studying this, one commentary said this, and I thought it was interesting. In some cultures, the removing of shoes was a sign of being at home, quote-unquote, as well. Um, and we can kind of relate to that. You take your shoes off at home, you're at home, you get comfortable, that kind of thing. You know, um, so in some cultures, it was also a sign of being at home. And Moses was rejected by the Hebrews, the Egyptians, and the Midianites. But the, the, the Hebrews, uh, you know, when, and, and, and Chris talked about, a little bit about this last week, when Moses, you know, thought he was the deliverer, and, you know, he said, and they said, who are you? you know, so even his own people was like, Mo, who are you again? You grew up in Pharaoh's house, rejected by his own people. The Egyptians rejected him. They were trying to kill him. The Pharaohs tried to kill him. And then Midianites thought he was an Egyptian. 
When he saved them, they said, who, 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 how'd, you, how'd you get the water so fast? Some Egyptian came and saved the Egyptian. So he, Moses was like, didn't have a home, quote unquote, if you will. But at the same time, he found a home in the presence of the God of his ancestors. So I thought that was an interesting point. So he's holy. God, in one sense, is unapproachable because he's transcended. He's beyond human, above human capacity, and all that kind of stuff. He's transcended. But in another sense, he's very near and intimate to us. That's the incredible thing about God. In one sense, he's unapproachable. The Bible says he dwells in unapproachable light <laughs> in 1 Timothy. I love that verse. But at the same time, draw near to God and he'll draw near to you. God, the Holy Spirit, the third person of the Trinity, lives within us. That's how close he is. In one sense, he's unapproachable, but in another sense, he's as close as our next breath. Wow. So we have to understand that balance and get that balance together. Understand that he's intimate. We're, we can be intimate with him, close to him, but, but don't shun or disregard his holiness and his transcendence at the same time. Does that make sense? Don't understand that he's holy. He ain't, he ain't your boy down the street. He's a holy and a righteous God. But at the same time, I can come boldly to the throne of grace. So get that balance together. You know, um, understand, understand that balance, that balance. All right, now, remove the sandals from your feet for the place where you are standing is holy ground. Then he continued, listen, I am the God of your father, the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, and the God of Jacob. After he tells Moses, back up a bit, then he says, I'm the God of you of your fathers. Notice what he said. He said, your fathers. Moses' identity is traced back to Abraham. He gave Moses an identity. He said, I'm the God of your ancestors, Moses, your father. I know you've been roaming in the wilderness for 40 years, but listen, I'm the God of your ancestors. You're part of this covenant. And listen, Moses knew about the covenant. He had to know, even growing up in Pharaoh's house. I'm sure he's heard, or he heard about all this covenant. And so God reminds him, yeah, and you're part of that, Mo. I'm telling you who you are. I'm, he says, I am the God of your fathers. The God of Abraham. Not I was. I am the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, and the God of Jacob. Now, they've, they've been dead for years. But God says, I'm still their God. Which says what? Now, Jesus dealt with this uh, verse, too, in the book of Matthew and dealing with the Sadducees who didn't believe in a resurrection, right? So that same day, some Sadducees, and I'm sure we've heard the joke, they, were sad. they didn't believe in a resurrection, so they were sad, you see? Okay, all right. That same day, some Sadducees who say there is no resurrection 
came up to him and questioned him, testing him, always testing him. Teacher, Moses said, if a man dies having no children, his brother is to marry his wife and raise up his offspring for his brother. All right? The elaborate marriage in the book of Deuteronomy is called the, the, the law of the elaborate marriage. If a man dies having no children, his brother is to marry his wife and raise up children. Now, there were seven brothers among us. All right? The first got married and died. Having no offspring, he left his wife to his brother like he was supposed to. The same thing happened to the second also. No children, same thing. And the third, and so on to all seven. All seven of them died without having any children. Okay. Last of all, the woman died. I guess so, after being married seven times to seven men. I'd... Okay. Last of all, the woman died. In the resurrection then, whose wife will she be of the seven? Jesus. Answer me this. For they all had married her. So whose wife is she going to be, Jesus? Jesus answered them, you are mistaken because you don't know the scriptures or the power of God. Jesus knew how to shut people up. <laughs> he said, listen, first of all, you don't even know the Bible. <laughs> Nor the power of God. Now, they were Sadducees. They knew the scriptures, but he says, you don't know the scriptures or the power of God. See, you can read the Bible, but not really know the Bible. I read the scriptures, but do you understand what it's saying? He says, you don't know the scriptures or the power of God, Mr. Sadducee. For in the resurrection, they neither married nor are given in marriage, but are like angels in heaven. There ain't going to be no marriage. Now concerning the resurrection of the dead, which is really what, you, what you're trying to deal with here, haven't you read what was spoken to you by God? I thought you knew the Bible. Did you read that part? Haven't you read what was spoken to you by God? I am the God of Abraham and the God of Isaac and the God of Jacob. He is not the God of the dead, but of the living. And when the crowds heard this, they were astonished at his teaching. So he's the God of the living, not the dead. So that's why he said to Moses, I'm the God of your fathers, Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. They're physically dead, but still spiritually alive. That's the point. And we got to remember that and realize that. that, that and that's why the Bible calls the death of believers sleep. It says we, he, they've, they've fallen asleep. Why? Because they can be re resurrected at any moment in the resurrection. That's why we don't say, well, we, we sometimes say they felt they've fallen asleep as a believer. Now, we don't say that about unbelievers. Oh, they're going to get resurrected, but it ain't going to be the same. All right? Okay, now, um, I am the God of your father. Moses hid his face because he was afraid to look at God after God said that. Wow. Now imagine, he's in the presence of God. And it says, Moses hid his face. And this is an Asiatic custom of avoiding contact with a superior. That's what they did. Moses recognized his sinfulness and his unworthiness. But it was a custom in this culture where you avoided the, the, the eye contact 
with somebody who was superior than you. And obviously, God is superior than Moses. So Moses hid his face. And, and during slavery, um, men in particular were not allowed to look eye to eye with the master in the face when they talked to them because they were considered superior, so you don't look at me in the face. Now, God is my superior, so understand this. Another man is not. So that was a, that was a, that was a way to make uh, black people feel less than a man. You don't look me in the face. Now, and, 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 even, and even now, some fathers will teach their sons, and some of you may have done this, when you, when you talk to a man, when you look at, look at him straight in the face, I, I, that's talking to you man to man. They're your equal. You know, you don't have to be ashamed to look down on, at, when, when somebody's talking to you. You're not, you're not less than anybody else. So we kind of understand this concept. But here, God is his superior. So I understand what Moses is doing here. So, but we are never to be, uh, we are, we're not inferior to other men, other people. Amen? All right, all right. Now, um, so Moses hid his face because he was afraid to look at God. All right. Um, verse 7. Then the Lord said, I have observed, observed the misery of my people in Egypt. I have heard them crying out because of their oppressors. I know about their sufferings, and I have come down to rescue, to rescue them from the power of the Egyptians and to bring them from that land to a good and spacious land, a land flowing with milk and honey. Now, okay, God sees their affliction. He identifies with them through the covenant with their father. He says, he says I observe the misery of my people. Notice how God identifies with us in this, in this instance with the Jewish people. He said, these are my people. He says, I've seen the misery of, these are my people. He says, I have observed the misery of my people in Egypt and have heard them crying out because of their oppressors. He's heard them crying. He observed, he heard, and he says, I know about their sufferings. First of all, he says, I observed, I've heard, and I know. And the same thing with you. God sees, he hears, and he knows. Now, the question is, I'm sure Moses may have asked, and the people may, what took you so long? And we'll, we'll deal with that in a minute. I observed the misery of my people in Egypt, and I've heard them crying out because of their oppressors. I know about their sufferings, and I have come down to rescue them from the power of the Egyptians and to bring them from that land to a good and spacious land, a land flowing with milk and honey. Now, it says, God identifies with their suffering. In the book of Isaiah, chapter 63, it says this, I will make known the Lord's faithful love and the Lord's praiseworthy acts because of all the Lord has done for us, even the many good things he has done for the house of Israel, which he did for them based on his compassion and the abundance of his faithful love. Listen to that his compassion, and the abundance of his faithful love. He said, they are indeed my people. Again, he identifies with them. They are indeed my people, children who will not be, dis who will not be disloyal. And he became their savior. 
Listen, verse 9. In all their suffering, he suffered. In all their suffering, he suffered. And the angel of his presence saved them. He redeemed them because of his love and compassion. He lifted them up and carried them all the days of the past. But he identifies with their suffering. God identifies with your suffering. He's not ignorant of it. He's not avoiding it. He's not. He identifies with your suffering. He observed, he heard, and he knows. God's silence does not equal his approval. Just because God is not saying anything right now doesn't mean he doesn't care. And doesn't mean that he doesn't have a plan and he's coming to your rescue. No matter how long it takes. And all of this, we see God's motive. God took notice of their sorrow, their cry. He's separate, but he's not distant. There's a difference. God is separate from us, but he's not distant from us. Like I said, he's as close as our next breath. We see God's motive. He took notice of their sorrow and their cry. We see God's purpose. His purpose is to transfer his people to rescue them from slavery to worship. And we're going to look a little bit more at that in a minute. We're going to see a little bit more of that in a minute. Transfer his people to rescue them from slavery to worship. Like he said, you're going to come back to this mountain later. When God saved you, he saved you from slavery to sin so you can worship him. We are worshipers, people who worship God. I worship him for who he is and for what he's done for me. He saved me from sin. I was a slave to sin. But now we are to be slaves of righteousness, the Bible says in Romans 6. Still a slave, but slave to the right thing. Slaves of God in righteousness. We see God's motive, God's purpose. Then we see God's plan. Moses is to go. God is, the, God is a sending God. God determines the end and the means. I'm determining how it's going to end up and how you're going to get there. God is the author of both, the end and the means. Verse 9, in all their suffering, he suffered, and the angel of his presence saved them. He redeemed them because of his love and compassion, lifted them up and carried them all the days of the past. Okay, all right, now, he says, a land flowing with milk and honey, the territory of the Canaanites, the Hittites, the Amorites, the Perizzites, the Hivites, and the Jebusites, all those ites. <laughs> so because the Israelites cry for help has come to me, I have also seen the way of the Egyptians oppressing them. Now listen, now listen, this is the land, he says, of all those different people. The land is occupied already. He said, I'm going to take you into this land. The land is already occupied with, with immoral people. <laughs> um, idolatry, immorality, all of that is, is in the land, all right? So, when, sometimes when God wants to take you somewhere, you got to fight for it. They had to fight. The land was promised to them. Oh, it's yours, yeah. But there's giants in the land, by the way. 
<laughs> he told Moses, listen, I'm going to send you to Pharaoh, tell him to let my people go. I'm like, all right, yes, yeah. And by the way, he's going to say no. He's like, what? <laughs> well, why are you sending me? <laughs> That's been my question. Well, why am I going? <laughs> so I'm going to be, he's going to be easy, uh, yeah, but he's going, he's going to let him go, but, you know, he's going to say no. I'm going to get glory out of Pharaoh. It says in Exodus, I'm going to get glory out of Pharaoh. I love that. <laughs> all right. Now, their enslavement, by the way, was, was prophesied. Now, first of all, the, the land, the kind of land he was going to give them. In Genesis 13, after Lot had separated from him, the Lord said to Abram, look from the place where you are. Look north and south, east and west. Look all around. For I will give you and your offspring forever all the land that you see. I'm going to give it to you. I will make your offspring like the dust of the earth so that if anyone could count the dust of the earth, then your offspring could be counted. Get up and walk around the land through its length and width, for I will give it to you. So the land was promised to them years ago. All right? Um, again, uh, uh, but, it, but it, it was occupied. All right? But also, their enslavement was predicted. God told them, you're going to be enslaved. He told them, listen, Genesis 15. Then the Lord said to Abram, listen, Know this for certain, your offspring will be resident aliens for 400 years in a land that does, not, that does not belong to them and will be enslaved and oppressed. He told them that years ago. They're going to go to this land, they're going to be slaves for 400 years. Yeah, right. Mm-hmm. I'm going to wait 400 years. However, I will judge the nation they serve, and afterward they will go out with many possessions. Listen, God said, listen, they're going to be enslaved by the Egyptians, but I'm going to judge the Egyptians for what they did. When you look at the Old Testament with people like Cyrus, God called them his servant or the Assyrians, whoever it was. God will use them to judge Israel and then judge them for what they did. (laughs) How could he do that? Because he didn't put it in their heart to do that. He knew they were going to do that. He just allowed them to do it as, a, as, a, as judgment to his people. But he didn't tell them to do that. It came out of their own immoral heart. That's why God could still judge them for what they did. God just used their immorality for his own purposes. He can do that. He's God. I will judge the nation they serve, and afterward they will go out with many possessions. When they left, the, Israelites, the Egyptians gave them all kind of stuff. But you will go to your ancestors in peace and be buried at a good old age. In the fourth generation, they will return here. God was very specific. In the fourth generation, they will return here. For the iniquity of the Amorites has not yet reached its full measure. So, so their captivity and enslavement was predicted. So he's letting Abraham know, listen, the covenant is still valid. All right? Um, Verse 10, therefore, go, I am sending you to Pharaoh so that you may lead my people, the Israelites, out of Egypt. Okay, all right, now, um, <laughs> well, first of all, before I go there, so God waited 400 years. Why did God wait so long? I think there could be several reasons. Um, Acts chapter 7. It should be Acts chapter 7. Uh, Okay, that's it. Okay. No, that's not it. Wait. No. Okay, yeah, this is it. I'm sorry. Okay. Yes, this is it. Okay. Now, a famine and great suffering came, all, came over all... That should be Acts chapter 7, actually. But a famine and great suffering came over all of Egypt and Canaan, and our ancestors could find no food. When Jacob heard there was grain in Egypt, he sent out our ancestors there the first time. 
The second time, Joseph revealed himself to his brothers, and Joseph's family became known to Pharaoh. The story of Joseph and his brothers. Verse 14, Joseph invited his father Jacob and all his relatives, 75 people in all, 75 people in all, all right? And Jacob went down to Egypt. He and our ancestors died there were carried back to Shechem and were placed in the tomb that Abraham had bought for a sum of silver from the sons of Hamar in Shechem, all right? As the time was approaching to fulfill the promise that God had made to Abraham about coming to deliver them after 400 years. When the time was approaching, see, God has a time. God is a God of time, all right? As the time was approaching to fulfill the promise that God had made to Abraham, the people flourished and multiplied in Egypt. They flourished and multiplied. Why did God wait so long? There were 75 left initially. By the time they left Egypt, there's various numbers, but at least 600,000 of them were left. From 75 to 600,000 plus. So God was multiplying them all that time. I need more than 75 of y'all. Some will wait. Keep, keep, you know, having kids. I'll let you know when to stop. <laughs> So I need, I need a whole multitude. See, when they left, that's, why, that's what scared the Pharaoh. Listen, there's too many of these Jews. They're going to take over. We got to do something. God was multiplying. He was also, I think, preparing Moses and the people to receive Moses, to accept Moses. You know, Moses, um, he wasn't so sure. We're going to get into that in a minute. But, but he was preparing the people and Moses. Moses had to be humbled. All right? Now, and then he says, <laughs> he tells Moses, you go. Um, therefore, I'm sending you to Pharaoh so that you may leave him. Wait a minute. He says, I have come down to rescue them. Well, you said you was going to do it. Then you go, Moses. <laughs> Wait a minute. <laughs> but it's God. But he's going to use you. Moses wasn't prepared for that. He got excited about, I've come down to rescue. Yes, all right. Hallelujah. All right, Moses, go ahead and tell Pharaoh to let my people go. What? Who? God is a sending God. He always sends people. Jesus sent out the 12. God's, God is a sending God. He always does that. And notice that Moses is to lead Israelites out of Egypt, not into the promised land, because he wasn't allowed to go in. But he did lead them out of Egypt. Joshua was the one who ultimately led them into the, into the promised land. Now, um, so God, Moses' ascending shows that God is a personal God, a faithful God, a compassionate God, and a sovereign God. He's personal. I have come down. I've seen. I've heard. I've cried. He's faithful. I'm going to rescue them. He's compassionate because of my love for them. And he's sovereign. Don't worry about Pharaoh. I'll handle him. All right. Now, verse uh, 11. But Moses asked God, who am I that I should go to Pharaoh and that I should bring the Israelites out of Egypt? Now, listen. Now, <laughs> 40 years earlier, Moses thought he knew who he was. <laughs> Chris talked about this a little bit last week when he saw the two uh, um, 
Hebrews fighting each other, and one, and he got, listen, and he, and he killed the Egyptian, uh, a Hebrew and Egyptian, he killed the Egyptian. He thought that people were, would realize, okay, oh, God has sent us a deliverer. But now he's saying, who am I to go? He thought he was the one to go before. What happened? I think God had to humble Moses. All that time in the wilderness, God had to work on his heart. He had to do some things in Moses. And Moses was aware of his history. He knew. 40 years in Egypt, 40 years in in Midian, he was humble. You know, what happened to that former Hebrew patriotic stance he had when he killed the Egyptian? (laughs) I'm your man. Really? Who are you? You going to kill me like you did the Egyptian? He's like, well, wait, I thought you ain't happy that, you know. He thought he knew who he was. But now he's asking, who am I? And, and you think about it, it's a good question. You know, Moses is the shepherd boy, and you want me to go to the, the most powerful man in the nation, possibly the world, with the staff and the rod and say, let my people go. It's like a mechanic going to Canada and saying, you know, free everybody or something, you know. <laughs> with a wrench in his hand. <laughs> you know, I mean, who is he? Like he said, who am I to go? You know, that's the wrong question, first of all. The question is, who is God? That can tell me to go. <laughs> That's the question he should have asked. Who is this God? And listen, you got to understand that Moses is learning about God the same time the, the, the children of Israel are in the wilderness. He's laughing like, you know, he's learning about God too. Like he's looks like, you know, he had to, God had to tell him who he was. He said, who should I tell him sent me? Who, who should I tell him sent me? I am that I am. Okay, all right. Moses didn't know. Moses is learning too. On the job training. <laughs> who am I? that I should go. But listen what God says. He answered, I will certainly be with you. That's the best answer you could have got. God didn't say, come on, Moses, believe in yourself. You know, but no, <laughs> none of that, you know. Realize who you are, Moses. No, no. He just said, I'm with you, Mo. Let's go. Let's go do this. Realize when God sends you somewhere and calls you, he goes with you. And he said that. Everybody who ever said that, he says, I'll be with you. That's the most comforting thing that we can hear as believers. I'm with you. When, when, I, when I send you somewhere, when I tell you to do something, I'm with you. I'm not going to send you and then leave you by yourself. That's not the kind of God we serve. He's not going to command you to do something and then leave you to do it all by yourself. Especially something like this. Confrontation like this. He said, I'm going to be with you. And this will be the sign to you that I am the one who sent you. When you bring the people out of Egypt, you will worship God at this mountain. I'm going to be with you, Moses, and this is going to be the sign. God brought them back to the mountain to worship. That same mountain to worship. Exodus chapter 19, verses 1 through 6. In the third month from the very day the Israelites left the land of Egypt, they came to the Sinai wilderness 
they traveled from Rephidim, came to the Sinai wilderness, and camped in the wilderness. Israel camped there in front of the mountain, that same mountain. Moses went up to the mountain, went up the mountain to God, and the Lord called to him from the mountain. This is what you must say to the house of Jacob and explain to the Israelites. You have seen what I did to the Egyptians and how I carried you on eagle's wings and brought you to myself. You saw what I did to the people that had impressed you. I told you I was coming to deliver you. You see what I did to them? Now, if you will carefully listen to me and keep my covenant, you will be my possession out of all the peoples, although the whole earth is mine. Wow. He said, the whole earth is mine, but I'm choosing you. And you will be my kingdom of priests and my holy nation. That sounds like First Peter to me, that we are now kingdoms. The Bible calls us that. These are the words that you are to say to the Israelites. Then verse 16, on the third day, when morning came, there was thunder and lightning, a thick cloud on the mountain, and a very loud blast from a ram's horn, so that all the people in the camp shuddered. God showed up like this. Then Moses brought the people out of the camp to meet God, and they stood at the foot of the mountain. Mount Sinai, the same mountain, Mount Hor. Mount Sinai was completely enveloped in smoke because the Lord came down on it in fire. Its smoke went up like the smoke of a furnace, and the whole mountain shook violently. As the sound of the ram's horn grew louder and louder, Moses spoke, and God answered him in the thunder. He took him back to that same mountain where his folks spoke to Moses to worship. There's a pattern that, that you see in Exodus. God redeemed them. Then he gave them the law, his righteousness. And then he gave them the tabernacle, which was what? Their worship. Redemption, righteousness, worship. You can't be righteous until you're redeemed. You can't worship until you're righteous. I'm going to say that again. You can't be righteous until you're redeemed. He redeemed them first and then gave them the law, the Ten Commandments. Here's my standard of righteousness, how I want you to live. Now that you're righteous, now let me show you how to worship me. Worship that is not rooted in righteousness is rejected. In the book of Amos, it says in chapter 5, God told him, he says, I don't want your songs. I don't want you singing to me. I don't want nothing until you get right with me. Amos chapter 5. Why? Because their hearts were not righteous. They were not right. God said, they were still trying to worship God. And God said, take that away from me. I don't want to hear it. Don't sing another song. Cain's offering was rejected because it was not done out of a righteous heart. He rejected Cain's offering because it wasn't given out of a righteous heart. He rejects worship that is not given out of a righteous stance. The righteousness that is imputed to us in Christ. At the same time, there is a way we are to live. It's called holiness. Live holy. God is always more concerned with who we are than what we do. God is always more concerned with who we are than what we do. When, what we, then when who we are pleases God, so will what we do. We try to do stuff to cover up who we are. 
and think God's not going to notice. God is always, always more concerned with who we are than what we do. We can come here and do this all day and sing and shout, but what am I doing when I get home, when nobody's looking? How am I treating my neighbor? How am I treating my coworkers? Am I living righteously? I'm not talking about perfection. I'm not talking about perfection. But the stance of your heart. When I sin, do I repent? Does it tear me up inside when I sin against God? Or is it just, oh, well, you know, that's just part of who I am. Attitude. Attitude. God is always more concerned with who we are than what we do. And when who we are pleases God, so will what we do. We do good deeds out of who we are. Servants and followers of Jesus Christ who were created for good works. So now that they've been redeemed, and God, chapter 20, God gives them the Ten Commandments, the next chapter. And then later on, he gives them the tabernacle. After this, chapter 20, Ten Commandments. Later, chapters, the tabernacle, worship. Redemption, righteousness, worship in that order. I'm done. As we prepare to take communion. <laughs> What's funny? I'm done. I'm done. All right. Um, I went a little bit past. I'm good. I'm good. I'm good. All right. Um, we're going to sing a song, and we're going to come back and take communion and celebrate being redeemed, being declared righteous, and the ability to worship. Because, listen, because of what Jesus did. I, I talked earlier about us being able to be, um, have intimate relationship and closeness with God. That is only because of Jesus Christ. That's the only reason we can be uh, have an intimate personal relationship with this transcendent God is because Jesus has come to, to, to close the gap between the holy God and the sinful man. Once we become saved and accept that, the gap is closed. Now, because God sees me through Christ, I can now have this intimate, personal relationship. Now the Holy Spirit can indwell my heart. Because Jesus has come to reconcile sinful man and a holy God. So we're going to celebrate that in communion after we sing this song. Stand, please. I like what Eddie said about worshiping with a righteous stance. And thankfully, what we're about to celebrate with communion, we can worship with a righteous stance because of what Christ did. So let's try to think of that as we're singing to God.
All my life, you have been faithful. All my life, he's been so, so good. We can all sing that confidently because we know that it's true. God called Moses from a burning bush, a man who was unprepared and even unwilling <laughs> to do what God had called him to do. But God said, I'll be with you. It was because of who God was, not because of who Moses was that he was able to do what he did. And because, like I said, the pattern, because God had redeemed them, like he promised to and did, gave them his righteousness, and then gave them worship. And it's the same with us. Because God has redeemed us, gave us the righteousness of Christ, and now we can freely worship. All because of the cross all because of Calvary and what Jesus did. Without that, I'm not redeemed, and I can't worship, and I ain't righteous. But because of Jesus, what he's done, what this represents, what this cup and this, and this cracker represents, his broken body and shed blood, because of that, I am righteous in Christ, and I can come and worship before a holy, transcendent God who's separate but not distant, who's as close as the next breath I breathe because of the Holy Spirit within. So let's celebrate and thank God for the cross, for redemption, for righteousness, and for worship. Let's partake.
Lord, we thank you for being a God who's so close. Thank you for rescuing us from the kingdom of darkness and transferring us into the kingdom of the Son of your love. Thank you for making us kings and priests because of Jesus. Thank you that you've called us like you called Moses. You also call us. Help us to say, here I am. Speak, Lord, for your servant hears. Help us to say that, Lord, when you call us to do something with a willingness to obey and hear. That's what that means, here I am. The willingness to obey and to do what you say. So thank you for your love, your mercy, and your grace. Surely goodness and mercy shall follow us all the days of our lives. And we will dwell in your house forever. Where would we be without your mercy and your grace? When we don't say, here I am, send me. When we run, still your mercy chases after us. Your goodness chases after us because you love us so much. So thank you. Be with us the rest of the evening and the rest of the week. Bring us back again at the appointed time next week. We'll give you all glory, all honor, and all praise. Lord God, in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen. Thank you. Thank you so much for worshiping with us. Uh, if you rolled in before announcements were over, we are going to have a short time uh, where you could get some food, about 10, 15 minutes. Uh, the door on my left, uh, as you're walking back, you can start there.